Take your Bibles and please turn to the book of Hebrews. This will not be an exposition of Hebrews. We're taking a break, as I said, and today's sermon will be on discernment. But we're going to use Hebrews 5.14 as a jumping off point, as a platform. Let me read. Did, I think I said Ephesians. Is that what I said? Hebrews. Ephesians is always on my mind. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And then please turn to Matthew chapter 24. Verse 23, 24, and 25. Matthew chapter 24. Verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and sow great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. And now, as we come and continue to worship you, Lord, we pray that we would have clean hearts, uh, holy hands, and teachable spirits before you, Lord. Give me grace to preach your word clear and accurate. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If I may, I'm going to begin my sermon with a quote that's reported to have been from the prophet Mark Twain. I'm joking when I say prophet. He's a very funny writer for me. I enjoy reading Mark Twain. He wrote, quote, It's easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled. It's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled, Mark Twain. It reminded me of an advertisement during the 20s and 30s for good health. Do you know what that advertisement was during the 1920s and 30s for good health? Smoke a cigarette. That's how they advertised for good health. If you want to have some good health, what should you do? Smoke a cigarette. Are there any benefits to smoking a cigarette? I'm kind of frightened to say it, but maybe, maybe, you know, one or two small ones, right? You can lose weight, I think, if you smoke cigarettes. But ultimately, it can cause throat cancer and lung cancer, right? So they're basically deadly. Lose a little bit of weight, but you die. <laughs> and so that was a, a type of a, if I can use the word, a psychological operation. Advertisement is a type of a, a psyop. It can be in order to get you to believe or do something based on what possibly could be true, but really it's not. It's wrong. So for all of life, it calls for discernment, especially in the spiritual sense, we need to have biblical discernment. Because it's not simply a, an advertisement for smoking a cigarette, but Satan himself seeks to deceive us. His name is Diabolos, the who? The deceiver. We've seen that from the book of Ephesians, is that Satan through the world, Ephesians six twelve through 14, through principalities and powers and authorities and spiritual forces and, and the wicked places, seeks to mislead us. And even we've seen just now in Matthew 24, 24, 
that in the future there could arise, and also there have been in the past, false Christs and false prophets that say they're godly or say that they're Christ, and of course they're not, and they seem to do great miracles and great deeds, and so people give them their allegiance. In the future, this could also happen. It will happen when the Antichrist comes. And it, the elect here is saying that Jesus is saying have to also use discernment. That well, it wouldn't be possible. If it were possible, if the elect, if they weren't chosen, if they weren't regenerated, and if they didn't use discernment, they too could be misled. Christ is encouraging these apostles and us to use discernment. And even there in Hebrews, and we'll come back to the Hebrews verse, but it talks about, by practice, having the senses trained to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. So I think we can say this morning, for the theme, for the preaching point of the sermon this morning, use discernment to to thrive in life and to finish the fight of faith well. In order to not just live and make all kinds of mistakes and create havoc in your life, instead, use discernment with how you live. And that will help you not only to live well, but even in terms of living for Christ and fighting the fight of faith. Using discernment then at the end of your life, you will be able to have said, I have fought well, I have believed the truth, I have stayed with Christ, and stayed with the true Christ, and the true faith, and the sound faith, with the healthy word, the whole time. And I'm finishing believing in Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. So this morning, we want to ask three questions about discernment, and then answer those three questions. First of all is, what is discernment? We've seen it in Hebrews 5.14 where it says to discern, and we'll look at some other verses in just a moment. But when I say discernment, what is it that I mean? Well, the definition we could say, we could put it this way, it's the ability to determine what is right, what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what's true, what is false, according to the word of God. Because we have the inspired Holy Scriptures, then we have not just a book that contains the truth, as John said, we have a book that is the truth. And so using the word of truth as our authoritative guide, then based upon that, we are able to distinguish, to decide what is right and wrong, based upon the word. Now, there are several words that are used in the scripture. The word discern or discernment is not always used. A word, for example, in Proverbs, it does use the word discern, but it also uses what word in the book of Proverbs? Understanding, or the word wisdom. And the word knowledge is also used throughout scripture. So when we talk about discernment, we're talking about you have and you use, you exercise your God-given ability to distinguish and to decide between these options, what is true and what is false, what is good and what is right, based upon the scripture. Now, a, a, a clarification that we need to make, because this question might be raised, is, Tom, are, are you talking about, is the Bible talking about the spiritual gift of discernment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 9 and 10. And maybe in the future we'll go through 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. I don't know if we've done that. Maybe in the future, I, I forgot. Maybe in the future we can do that. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 9. Talking about spiritual gifts. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. So what I'm talking about in the verses that we'll look at in Hebrews 5.14 and even verses in Proverbs, it is not talking about this gift in 1 Corinthians 12.10. 
Here, it seems to be talking about perhaps demonic spirits, false spirits that are seeking to portray themselves as being true prophets. And we can look at that later at a different point. We're not talking about the spiritual gift of distinguishing spirits. Not everybody has the same gift or giftedness given by God. But everybody is called to use discernment. If we were to look, for example, at the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12 talks about that there is a gift of mercy. But does that mean only the people with the gift of mercy should use mercy? No. There is a gift of of giving that talks about in Romans 12. If somebody has the gift of giving, can they say, I don't have to tithe because I don't have the gift. Tom has the gift. Tom can tithe. I'm talking about me. (laughs) No, spiritual gifts don't necessarily mean, what what they don't mean, you still don't have a duty to perform. And the duty here that we're going to see this morning is that of discernment. It's not the spiritual gift. That's something different. Every believer, every person should exercise, especially believers, discernment of some type. For example, is it more godly to not get married? If you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to be godly, if you want to go to the next level of Christianity, eat vegetables only and never get married. There are non-Christian and Christian religions that teach that. That the pinnacle of devotion to God, that you don't soil your body with marriage or never eat any meat. My grandparents taught me to eat meat was sinful. You meat eaters. Well, discernment then seeks to distinguish. Is that true? Is that false? If it's true, then I I want to do that. If it's false, then I'm going to reject that. So based on the word, then we come to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience, as with a brinding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So then we would know that based upon the word of God in Acts 10, this passage, and other places, in 1 Corinthians 7, that the epitome of spiritual life is not living in perpetual singleness and never eating meat, only vegetables. We know that as well from Romans 14. And so then we're able to distinguish. And maybe this isn't a, an issue for us, but for my dad's side, my own dad's side of the family, it was a huge issue because they were selling for the Adventists. And of course, Roman Catholic priests, but even others, even within Christianity at times, it can almost be even in Protestant Christianity, if you really want to be married, really godly, then don't get married. Well, that's false. That's up to the Lord, and that's up to you under his gracious sovereignty. So that's the first question. What is it? This ability to determine right what is right and what is wrong. Maybe one more example uh, the prayer of Jabez was really popular some time ago. First Chronicles chapter four, verse ten. I don't know if you remember this. First Chronicles chapter four, verse ten. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me 
indeed, and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, that it not that it may not pain me. And God granted him what he requested. And so there was a book called The Prayer of Jabez, and it encouraged people to pray this prayer. That's excellent, yes. <laughs> pray this prayer. Like, oftentimes for you, and I might preach on it, I pray for myself, but especially for all of you, I pray Second Thessalonians 3, 5, that God may direct your heart into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. That's what I pray for you. That's what I pray for myself. It's good to pray scripture. But what happened is this book generally, basically pressed forth this idea that if you pray this prayer, and the recommendation, if I remember correctly, was to pray this prayer every day, pray it for 30 months, and then what's going to happen? Boom! Shazam! You're going to see dramatic things happen in your life. Now, that... That could happen. God could do that. But is this what this verse is saying to do? What will happen to you if you pray this this way? No. God answers prayer. Absolutely. But God's answers and God's timetable are not always the answers we want or on the timetable that we want. And so what happened, or what can happen, I think what did happen is it can become a... Movement and Christians love to be part of a movement and love to be part of a mass of lemmings. Right? Like penguins. And so discernment is, uh, wait, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna study, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna thank God help me. That's what discernment is. Now, why is this important? This is the second question. Why is this important? That is, what motivation do we have to use discernment? And basically it's two, because the king, Jesus Christ, tells us to use discernment. And then secondly, for protection. Jesus says, the word of God, our king, our Lord, the Bible, says use discernment. And then secondly, we can protect ourselves and others. It is commanded to use discernment in several different places, for example, we can see this in First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter five. Verse 19, "Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. This verse is talking about discernment when it says, but examine everything carefully. That that which is being proclaimed, that which is being taught, examine it very carefully. Is it good or is it bad? If it's bad, then reject it and stay away from it. This is a call to use discernment, to distinguish between good and bad. First uh, John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This you know, the Spirit of God. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming, and now is already in the world. So first, it's because Jesus says, the word of God, our King, our Lord, says, use discernment. We want to please God. We want to be God-pleasers, so then we use discernment. But second, it is of great benefit for you and I to use discernment, just with the ad of the 19... 1920s and 30s, if you want to be healthy, smoke a cigarette. You know, now we laugh at that. I'm like, that's so silly. That's so funny. But back in those days, even many of our parents would just be, maybe you have, they just smoke all the time. Just packs a day. Because they didn't use, we often don't use the discernment we should. And using discernment, not only does it please God, 
but it benefits us and it will benefit others. For example, Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, starting with verse 5. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Verse 9. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course, for wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. So having the ability, by God's grace, to distinguish and to determine between what's good and right, what's evil and wrong, even during chaotic and confusing times, gives us protection, safety. It's of great benefit to us. Hosea, the book of Hosea and the Minor Prophets, the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 14. You have the book of Daniel. And then right after Daniel you have Hosea. Hosea chapter 14. Sometimes Hosea has been called the Gospel of John of the Old Testament. Believe it or not. Hosea 14 verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. When is the last time you've, you've stumbled and, and fallen? Whenever you've stumbled and fallen, has it been a joyful moment? Have you just said, oh, thank you, Lord, praise God. My brother used to make fun of me all the time. All the time. Not... Not in a way which was mean spirit, but but in a way which was accurate. I grew up in Florida. Only time we'd wear shoes is when we went to church, and my toes would be so bloody and so cut up. I was always skinning my feet and my knees and my shins, and uh, my, my vision was okay. But I was a very clumsy boy, and I would trip. Right, I think last week I talked about I ran into a root. <laughs> I was always hurting my feet. I would always stumble, mainly because I wouldn't look at where I was going. I just wanted to run. I would run everywhere. Well, if we're not using discernment, this ability that God gives us to to know how to live and the right and good choices to make, then we're going to be running full blast, not looking where we're going, maybe not even have wrong intentions, but yet make a mistake and choose unwisely and hurt ourselves and maybe hurt others that we love because we've chosen poorly. I've already read 1 Timothy 1-6. through I don't think I, I need to read that at this moment. But this also would deal with the book of Hebrews. You can turn back to Hebrews. In terms of our continuance in Christ, that is, I'm talking about its benefit, using discernment, distinguishing between right and wrong, is it can be very practical with practical choices. It can also be with doctrine in our Christian lives. Ephesians 5.14 says discerning between good and evil. And in, in the context of Hebrews 5.14, discerning good and evil, it was good and evil in the sense of, should you go back to the former Judaistic Second Temple religion? and try to get in contact with with angels, or should you stick with Jesus Christ? And biblical wisdom, discernment, then will say that since Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, since he's better than Moses, since he's better than Joshua, then you continue in Christ. And so you have Hebrews 3.6. If we hold fast our confidence, our trust, and him until the end, then we prove, we, we show that truly we are in Christ, that we know Jesus. And this is a, a message that continues to be 
unfolded and taught throughout the whole book of Hebrews. This idea of continuing on in Christ. Even hold fast our confession, we see in chapter 4, verse 14. Even chapter 3, verse 14. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, then we show that we are, are with Christ. That is, believing always that Jesus is supreme and sufficient over all things, and that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. True biblical discernment understands that salvation is found in Christ, and it's not legalism, asceticism, or mysticism that saves you. It's Christ and Christ alone. And that's even why John Calvin and Martin Luther and other reformers spoke out so strongly against the Roman Catholic Church, it wasn't simply that they rejected sola scriptura, that they rejected that you're saved by grace and faith alone, but they were harming the testimony in the glory of Christ. Because if we are saved by faith, by grace, plus by our own works, then that takes the glory away from whom? From Christ. And so in the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit is saying... They need, they're at a place with as believers and professing believers that they should be abundantly aware that Jesus is your all in all. That He's the greatest treasure you could ever have and to stick with Him. I can remember my mom who had, had, not has, had, she doesn't have it now, she's with Jesus. She had neurofibromatosis, very bad, all over her arms. There were tumors. It just made all over her arms. And Ora Roberts and Kenneth Copeland would come on TV, and she would watch them. And they would say that if you want healing, and I was there, I saw them, place your hands on the TV screen. And pray this prayer after me. And they would pray a prayer, and my mom would be weeping because she wanted to be Healed. They can they can hurt at times, and and she prayed and prayed and prayed, and she was never healed. So then, she thought that she had a lack of faith. But then there came out. And this is true. A prayer handkerchief. They put the prayer handkerchief down, and or Roberts, Robert Tilton, I think was his name. Kenneth Copeland. All right. Dwight Thompson, all these guys, handkerchief. This is during the afternoon. My mom would be watching these. So she's reading a book by Spurgeon that I brought home. And at the same time, <laughs> listening to these faith healers. And she would order for the handkerchief. Then she would get the handkerchief, and she even purchased holy water. And so she would put the handkerchief on her head, and she would take the anointed water. And so she would do all these things. And she had a real physical pain. And that didn't heal her. She's healed now in a glorious way. But because of a lack of discernment, and even perhaps with respect to my mom, and this is true of all of us, putting health ahead of discernment got her into trouble where emotionally, and even in terms of her mental state, made her worse, and even probably even more unhealthy because of a lack of discernment. Another example, and I may have mentioned this to you before, this is again showing why it's important to use discernment. These beloved Southern Baptist missionaries, you know, I've talked about Roman Catholics, I've talked about Charismatics, so I was raised a Southern Baptist, let me talk about the Southern Baptists momentarily. So, beloved uh, men and women and children were and India, families that I know and that I love and I think great intentions and to sacrifice and go to live in India, I, I esteem them uh, in some ways. <laughs> but when they were doing evangelism, the book they would hand out would be, do you remember, they would hand out the book, The Shack. So The Shack was a short story and mainly the book taught a false view of the Trinity and 
did not believe in total depravity and it did not believe in a substitutionary atonement. And that's what the Southern Baptists, they were sent from the Southern Baptist Convention, that's the book that they were handing out to Hindus and to Muslims. One of their uh, a family from their group decided to be with us and to be with K. Russo Bible Church because he was of the understanding, he used his discernment that that book was faulty and that was a bad practice. They were very well-intentioned, I believe. They had been mistaught. Somebody in authority had taught them and convinced them, use this book, it's a good story. Well, first, it may not be a good story for a Hindu culture or a Muslim culture. Second, the theology is heretical. And so it probably did harm for the sake of the guy. It hurt people, you know, spiritually speaking, and in some ways it may have even hurt them. And we have to be careful that we don't think, well, we're, we're, we're beyond that. We're above that. I would never do something like that. We need to have humility and realize, but by the grace of God, there we go. Lord, I need to grow in my discernment. Help me, Lord, to grow and to be a person that, that discerns between what's right and wrong. That's why it's important. So then, how do we grow in our discernment? And this will even involve, even how do we use it? How do we grow? And this will even involve the, the practice of it. Because you really can't grow in discernment unless you use it. Right? Number one, how do you grow in it? Number one, you've got to be saved. Okay, we're talking about, ultimately we're talking about spiritual discernment. And so first, we would say you have to be saved. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. That means God has examined him, and that, that person, in terms of their ability to understand the, the truthness and the true things of the gospel, to them, two plus two would equal five. That's why at times, a natural man may read the Bible, a natural person may read the Bible, and then come up and say, you know what the good book says? God helps those who help themselves. But that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> but for them, because they really are not spiritually regenerated and renewed in their mind, then they get things wrong. So the first is salvation. Because otherwise, Romans 1, 18 through 24 says what? A, a natural man or woman, though they know God, they don't give God the honor and the glory. Verse 18 says they push down the truth and unrighteousness. That's why you can have a scientist, a, a doctor, believe that Something was created from nothing. That's why they can have a type of morality, but yet not believe in God. Maybe believe in abortion is okay. Maybe believe that homosexuality is okay. And yet, in their own life, there's a tendency toward uh, moral behavior. But on spiritual issues, they're just off. They're just wrong. On moral issues, in some ways, of course, they can also be wrong. It's because they're not regenerated. They're not saved. They have on their glasses, but their glasses are stamped with atheism and self-glory. And so through everything, they look at God doesn't exist. Maybe he exists, but he he's my God. You know, he's he, he's like me, the God that I've created, and all of life is for my glory. And so that's how they look at everything. That's how I looked at everything. Before I was saved, you existed for one purpose, to please me. And so anybody that is 
not regenerated by the Spirit of God, that's how they see things. Even if they say they don't, they do. Because they suppress the truth of God. And so this morning, if you're not saved, if, if you haven't repented, then heed the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Jesus says in verse 14 and 15, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. So this morning, repent and believe. Ask the Spirit of God to regenerate you, to save you. That you can have those glasses wiped clean so you can truly see. Have you ever seen, I have, I've never seen the movie, but sometimes I, I see a, a clip about it. There's this guy, and he's just walking down the street, do, 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 do. You know, maybe it's L.A., I'm not sure. Everything is cool, everything's right. He's walking down, and he's wearing sunglasses, and somehow his glasses get knocked off. And then he looks around, and there's like zombies or orcs or something, like everywhere, these hideous creatures. And all the advertising on the signs is super weird. And he puts the glasses back on, and everything's oh, everything's back to normal. He takes them off. Ah! Spiritually speaking, when we get saved, we get a new kinds of glasses, so we can truly see the world as it really is, and see God as it really is. But you need to be saved. Second is pray, pray. First Kings, chapter 3, verse 7. First Kings, chapter 3, verse 7. Solomon says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Verse 9. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. Who was able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Throughout Scripture, we see people praying for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5, in the context of going through trials, James 1, 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And God will give it to him without finding fault. And he'll give it to him generously. Psalm 119, verse 66, also is a a call to have God's wisdom. Psalm 119, verse 66. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Lord, I I believe your, your word is... The truth, and it's true, Lord, based upon it, you give me discernment, Lord. I need discernment. We can even look at Ephesians 1.18, where Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, and he says, Lord, I pray that you'd open their eyes, the eyes of the heart, that they could see all the wealth that is theirs in Christ. There is this, throughout Scripture, this pressing force of, You lack the wisdom of God, and so ask God for it. The means to be wise is to ask God, God, would you please give me your wisdom? Lord, would you please give me your discernment? That's what I need, Lord. The ordained means for having discernment is to ask God. At times, I joke about it, but I wonder also if the joke exposes the truth in my heart. At times, I'll, I'll joke to you about, I wish, my, my like, huge wish would be that I could have a house where I could see Mount Rainier and the sound at the same time. And have like an acre, I could have horses and dogs, but I could see Mount Rainier and the sound at the same time, Lord. That would be so beautiful. No, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having that. But it is interesting to me. I've never, I I don't think I've fantasized throughout the day. Oh, Lord, I can just picture in my mind having the greatest discernment. That's really what what I, you know, in terms of deep down heart longing, what is it that I truly long for? If I had to choose, if God said, Tom, you can have that house you've been talking about to me for 11 years, 
overseeing the sound and Mount Rainier, or you can have more discernment. Tom, you choose. Which would you pick? The first thought in my mind is, Lord's saying I can have a house and <laughs> look at the sound. I'm going to pick that. But that wouldn't be the best pick. It's not necessarily a wrong pick, but it wouldn't be the best. The best would be, Lord, I want discernment. I want a greater amount of wisdom and the ability to follow that wisdom, Lord. Number three, we've said salvation, pray. Number three, in terms of how do you grow in it, how do you have it, how do you exercise it, number three is study the word. Study the word. John, Gospel of John, John 17, 17, thy word is truth, your word is truth, and it sanctifies us. Ephesians 1.13 talks about that we were saved by the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, the passage of, uh, of passages on God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word of God, that is, all scripture is produced by God, and it's beneficial for these things. It's beneficial for becoming more and more like Jesus, and to giving us everything that we need to live by faith for him. That's what Second Timothy chapter 3, 16-17 is saying. If we want to use discernment, we've got to be saved, we've got to pray, but we also have to use the Word of God. So we saturate ourselves with it, we study it, and then we savor it. Right? Saturate yourself with it, study it, savor it. Before in the past, I, I quoted this song that said, learn it, love it, and what was the other L one? Live it, thank you. Learn it, love it, live it. Here we're saying saturate, study it, savor it. The word of God. To be specific then, let me say this. In terms of the word of God, would be first to to know the gospel. What is the gospel? And we should never take take it in face value, take it for granted that everybody and the church knows the gospel. Some people might not know the gospel. They might think they know the gospel, but they might not really know the gospel. Well, Romans chapter 4, verse 5 says that God justifies who? Who does God justify? The godly or the ungodly? God justifies the ungodly, which should produce and nominal Christians in the world, a type of scandalism. God declares righteous, ungodly men and women through faith. Based upon Romans 4.25, that he was delivered over for our transgressions and rose again for our justification. That is the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. And when you trust him, you turn from yourself and trust him alone, then you're saved and your sins are forgiven. We're not saved by any merit or any good deeds that we ever do, but by faith alone and Christ alone because of all of his grace alone. That's what Romans 1-8 through labors to teach. <laughs> goes into great detail about and so we want to be sure that we understand the gospel. Because there are many times where uh, the Roman Catholic Church and other churches will say this, and not that it's necessarily bad, but it can be misunderstood. If I, I have had many times to talk to Roman Catholic relatives or friends, both in India and in here and even in other countries, and or even uh, with uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, even some of the Adventists, 
Do you believe, and I'm talking to them, do you believe that you're saved by, by faith in Jesus? Yes, amen. Do you believe that you're saved by faith only, only in Jesus? Oh, yes, certainly, yes, amen, yes. We're not pagan, we're not heathen, we're Christians just like you are. We're the same faith. Oh, well, do you believe that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? What do you mean by grace alone? Well, do you believe that you're saved apart from any good deeds that you have done, are doing, or could ever do? That you're saved apart from those? How could you teach something like that? That's wrong. Is what Roman Catholics and others have said to me. Because when I explained the gospel clearly, then they understood that there was a division between what I'm saying the Bible says and what they have been taught. The gospel is that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Apart from any good thing we have done, will do, or could ever do, we're saved by the good deeds of Jesus Christ and faith in him. And so we need to discern that and understand that. But even then, we need to understand the character of God and who God is and who is not. How do we do this? Well, as I said, you, you read your Bible, you saturate yourself with it, and you savor it. And the, one of the best ways you can do that is just go book by book. God's given you a book. God has revealed himself, and he did it in a book. Sometimes I think we can cry out, God, talk to me! Lord, just give me a, a sign. Lord, show me a direction, something. If only, if only you were talking to me. Here you go. Like maybe you, you just read it every now and then. Even here, even at our church. I'm sure some of you just, you know, read a verse here or there, whatever. Study it, saturate yourself with it, savor it, go book by book. There's so many resources today, right? You can get the Warren Worsby B books. He's accurate, you know, most of the time. He, he's really good. You can get the Al Mohler commentary that he has. You know, there's so many good... You can get the John MacArthur commentaries. There, You can get the Chuck Swindoll commentaries are pretty good. You can get all these little different commentaries and go book by book. Do you want more discernment? Study the Word. Study the Bible. Because you can pray, Lord, give me wisdom. And then God goes... Here you go. Read this. We can pray for a specific amount of wisdom to be given to us, yes, and God will give that. But normally, that's based upon what? Normally, it's based upon the word that you not just have read, but the word that you've understood. And if you haven't savored it, like a peppermint candy, then you may not even remember it during that crucial time. We have to go quickly. Number four, pursue Christian maturity. And that takes us back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. If you want to have discernment, the path to that is by being a mature Christian. And even the, the book of Ephesians does teach this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. And to well attain to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to our immature man, to the measure of the statutes which belongs, statue which belongs in the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And we could go further on, but Ephesians 4 is basically saying that when a person is mature in Christ, they're not going to be like a piece of shrapnel on the ocean that's just tossed every way like this and going out, oh, you know, there's a new teaching. I'm going to, oh, there's another cool movement. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, there's another great, pre- cool preacher. Yes. Oh, oh I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go to this church. I'm gonna, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> And then sooner or later, they get misled into a serious theological era, and then that that affects their life. 
That is, maturity is not the, the amount of knowledge that you have, but the amount of Bible knowledge you understand and apply. That's what Hebrews 5.14 in Ephesians 4 in summary is saying. It's not necessarily the amount of Bible knowledge or Bible doctrine that you know, but it's the Bible text and doctrine and theology that you understand and apply. You can know all kinds of stuff, but if you don't understand it and don't apply it, then so what? That just means you're more accountable. You could be a seminary professor and not have the greatest discernment. You could be a babushka in a village outside of Krasnoyarsk, Russia and have more discernment than a man that teaches at a seminary and has a PhD and a THD. Because it's not the amount of knowledge, it's do you understand what you know and do you do it? Again, Hebrews 5.14 is saying that. The more that you know and understand and do that which you understand, then you end up being able to grow in your discernment. Number five. Realize what seems fair may smell foul. Now, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, then you know where I'm getting that from. I'm either stealing that from Frodo or Sam. I have forgotten. It's one of them. <laughs> about Strider, about Aragorn, that said, sometimes there are people that look fair but smell foul. Other times there are people that look foul, but they smell fair. With Satan, does he present himself in a red outfit with a tail and horns and a pitchfork? Is Satan's name even Lucifer? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And listen to what the Spirit of God, to the Apostle Paul, says about how Satan appears. Verse 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So I would suggest that Satan doesn't present himself in a red outfit with horns and a pitchfork. But rather, as a beautiful creature, saying the most delightful words you could ever hear, and might even be one of the, might appear to be one of the most moral people you could ever meet. Might not even curse. But would smell foul. Think of a Venus flytrap. Does a Venus flytrap appear to insects as, ah, ah, I'm going to kill you, all you insects. Come, let me feast on the bowels of your being. No, it looks pleasant. They're gone. That's how Satan and false doctrine will present themselves, as it will look really good. It will look appeasing. It will look appetizing. It could look beneficial. But if you pause and think and wait with Scripture, get some counsel, then you may realize it's very dangerous and that you should be careful. Think about Jesus Christ. According to the book of Isaiah, end of 52 and 53, 
Did Jesus look like, as it talks about in that hymn that we just read, the dreadful majesty? When Jesus was walking on earth, what people were the ones that saw Jesus and said, Look, it's the Holy Son of God! Who are the people that said that about him? Evil spirits, demons. For most people, when they saw Jesus, he looked very normal. Not everything is what it seems to be. Not everything and not everybody is what they seem to truly be. Jesus is God of God and King of kings and Lord of lords. Satan is not. And he's a deceiver. So we want to be careful. Take time. Pause. Some things may look fair, but really if you take time, pause, think, pray about it, weigh it by scripture, maybe get some advice, then also it will smell foul. Be careful. And then finally, number six, don't follow the crowd. Most of the time, don't follow the crowd. That's why in the very beginning I said, don't be a limbing. You know, little creatures that, they're all in line or like a penguin, they just walk and they just fall off the cliff and they all go to destruction. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. When I was at Master's College, now it's Master's University, but 30 years ago, it's bizarre for me to say that, 30 years ago when I was at Master's College, John MacArthur's son-in-law was at the college when I was there, and he came to me and said, Tom, his name was Mark, uh, John's real son is also Mark, but his son-in-law is also Mark. And this is before Mark Gwynn had married Belinda MacArthur. And so Mark Gwynn came to me and said, Tom, my class is doing a survey. Would you like to come and be part of the survey? <gasps> Mark Gwynn is asking me to go to class with him. Gonna be, he's dating Melinda MacArthur. Yeah, yes! Maybe I can meet John somehow. Yes! So I went to a class and there's a bunch of people, like 30, 40 people in there. And so we started taking the survey and first there were sports questions. And it was odd. You know, I'm not, I'm not athletic. But I love sports, and I've watched football and baseball all my whole life, and they'd ask questions. You know, why was the only undefeated NFL team ever, for, you know, 17-0 season? And wasn't it the Chicago Bears? And, like, the whole class basically rose their hand. And I'm like, what? It's Miami. It's 1972. Miami Dolphin. What? And they kept asking questions. And everybody in the whole class was wrong. And I'm like... These people are nerds. I didn't know they were They're nerds. Then they asked questions on geography. And I was like, oh my word. Where did these people grow up? And then they asked questions on history. And again, everybody was wrong. But there was this mounting pressure inside of me to do what? To answer the way they were answering. I mean, it was huge, huge, huge pressure. It was bizarre. I was like, what? I, I must be wrong. I, I gotta be wrong. At the end, it was a communications test to see who would go along with the flow, who would go along with the crowd. Their pressure was insane. Huge amount of pressure. <laughs> it was crazy. I think if we're not careful, there is an intense pressure, even in the church, to follow the crowd. Now, we don't follow a crowd. We don't follow a small crowd. <laughs> we don't follow a large church or a small church. We don't follow a large movement or a small movement. We follow who? We follow Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if everybody in the world raises their hands, we look at Jesus. 
doesn't matter if the person that we love the most raises their hands. And like in terms of spiritual, biblical truth issue, we look at Jesus and we look at the Word. We don't want to follow a crowd. I, I will never forget that lesson. Again, the temptation was insane. I, I thought I was insane. I'm insane. <laughs> I'm wrong. I have to be wrong. No, it was a psychological operation. It was a psyop. <laughs> and Satan has many psyops. And he will until we see Christ. Then what do we do? Know the word and know Jesus. Know the word and know Jesus Christ. Get as close to Christ through his word and prayer as you can, and God will give you great discernment. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the kind intention of these people, Lord. It went a little bit long. Thank you, Lord. Bless your word and bless these people. We thank you. Amen.